You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We have one hour to go and we have a a good hour coming up. Uh, Today's gospel is from Matthew 10 where our Lord talks about giving uh, without counting the cost and it reminds me of a story of a of a little boy that read this gospel and read this story and just was burdened, really, uh, with the, the task of, of giving and came crying to his mother. And the little, boy, the little boy was crying and the mother said, you know, what in the world is... He said, does this mean I have, to, I have to give over and over and over? Uh, how am I going to do that? I'm going to get tired doing that. And the mother said, no, 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 that's not what it means. All it means is is that you have to give uh, as long as you have received from God. So that's how you're going to be able to give without counting the cost again and again and again. We all have a need to give. And and that's why we uh, tithe. That's why we support our church. Uh, we don't give to our parishes because we like the bishop or the priest. We, we give because we have a need to give. The human soul has a need to give. Uh, that's also one of the things that, as Ambrose would say, uh, opens the gate of the soul once we give and we receive. So giving is not a burden like that little boy, probably rightfully at his age, um, concluded. Um, we, we give not just over and over. That's not what we do. We give as only as long as we've received and will always receive from our Lord. Um, that's your homily today at Mass. Um, I have a funeral this afternoon. So, Father Logan, you can give it. Take the credit for it if you want. I Thank don't you. care. Fa- Father Logan Obergewich is the new parochial vicar here at Corpus Christi. Good morning, Father. Good morning. And Karen is here. Uh, Dr. Ann Broder is um, my next guest. Good morning, Dr. Good morning. How are you? Great, great. I just, you know, I saw you on the board, and I just didn't. Uh, we're we're actually neighbors in the cathedral district. <laughs> we're we're, we're I, I, I'm I'm building a rectory here at Corpus Christi, and I'm I'm living in a, in a house purchased by the diocese uh, by the diocese of Bismarck. Your your house is also owned by the diocese, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And and so you're you, we we are actually uh, n- neighbors, as in like we're <laughs> That's we're. Right. We're in neighbor, like neighbor neighbors. We're right next to each neighbor, other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, I guess I didn't, yeah, you were painting some chairs the other day in your garage. Great. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You got that. That was a 4th of July. Pro- I, I walked, I, w- I walked by your house and yep. your, your dog was out. Very good. So I, I yeah. knew, I knew my neighbor was associated with you, Mary, and, uh, you introduced yourself as Anne. So here you are, Anne Broder. Now, <laughs> Broder is, um, uh, Father Scott Broder is a friend of mine. He's a Jesuit. I'm bringing in. He told me that 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 Broder Bro, Brode uh-huh. is is is, yep. is is where we get embroidery. That's right. Yeah. So my husband is uh, French Canadian. He's from Montreal, and so um, Broder means uh, embroidery or mm-hmm. weaver. And another way to think about it as well. So it's someone who sews, someone who weaves. Yeah. So that's that's my evidently my husband's history. Uh, tell us your history. Where, uh, tell us a little bit about you. 
Well, you know, I actually uh, was born in western North Dakota. I was born at St. Joe's in Dickinson, and I grew up on a ranch south of Medora. And my family attended St. Mel's in Rame and St. Charles in Bowman. Um, I attended Franciscan University for my undergraduate, uh, CUA, Oxford, and the University of Toronto for my graduate work. And uh, I married my met my husband in Toronto, married him. I have two teenagers, so you can pray for me. And um, yeah, I, I teach history and Catholic studies here at the University of Mary. What, what's your main name? Uh, Wolfgram. Wolfgram, my my mother yeah. is a uh, uh, from St. Joseph's in in uh, in Dickinson, uh, oh, right. a, Sch- a Schmidt from there. So now, oh. uh, what 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 has brought you to uh, Toronto? What has brought you to your your interest in in, in you're you're the professor of history and yeah. Catholic studies, um, yeah. uh, administrative chair of languages, um, yeah. Yeah. and um, you're you're a faculty athletic representative. The, the, yeah. To sum it all up, uh, tell us what has brought you uh, to to uh, this interest, and and tell right. us about again where you work and what you do. Yeah, so um, I am really interested in communities and how they form, um, what makes them healthy, how they grow, uh, why they fall apart, and I'm interested in that historically and sociologically. And it's actually uh, rooted in my um, childhood experience of moving from rural uh, western North Dakota and Montana to uh, the Twin Cities when I was in high school. Um, I, you know, that, that move was uh, very transformative for me because I had grown up in these small, tight-knit rural communities where there's a lot of interdependence upon family and neighbor, uh, and that was just kind of the norm. Uh, and then when I was in high school, we moved to the suburbs of the Twin Cities, and I was really struck by how few people knew, uh, let alone depended on, uh, their neighbors. And I really wanted to understand what are the historical causes of those differences, and how did we get from relatively tight-knit societies to these sort of increasingly fragmented and alienated societies? So that took me to the study of history. Um, I was studying medieval history in Oxford, and that's where I was really captured by kind of the relative, you know, to kind of tensile strength and stability of medieval communities and societies. Um, compared with what I had experienced um, in sort of urban, modern urban societies. So that was the thing that drew me to the study of history, um, and then from there uh, to to study it in academia and to teach it and to, and to research it. Now, your, your passion is uh, the, the, medi- the history of the medieval world, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, and, and so just uh, thinking out loud, when I think of medieval times, right, it's the downturn uh-huh. of the Roman Empire. It's the downturn That's of the right. Roman Empire's influence. Uh, it lasted a thousand years, uh, fourteen hundred mm-hmm. years around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Catholic Church owned a lot of stuff. It was the only church, and yeah. uh, the prelates were involved in the government uh, in secular affairs. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, speaking what I think of. I, I remember Cardinal Burke was being asked once why he wants to take the church back to medieval times, and he said. <laughs> He said, "He said, well, first of all, the medieval, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm doing that, but he said, the, the, the medieval times were wonderful times, he said. Uh, mm-hmm. t- tell us about the culture in, in the medieval yeah. times and how it's different from our culture today. 
Right, right. So I think one of the things we should probably do is talk about what we mean when we use the word culture. Um, you know, when you use the word culture, you can mean art and architecture, you can mean music, high art, that sort of thing. But I think when we're using that term, we're really thinking of it sociologically and historically. And uh, the famous historian Christopher Dawson talked about a culture being a shared way of life and have, you know, a shared religious narrative of the world. So that meant that everybody had a generally broadly shared understanding of the divine, of God, of of creation, of the human person, of society, of the relation of all those things and the purpose of all those things. And so, you know, by the time we get to the central Middle Ages, around the year 1000, um, everybody in Europe pretty much has the same shared kind of mental furniture. Um, There's a broadly shared moral universe, um, broadly shared notions of right and wrong, shared liturgical life. You could enter a church in Sicily, and then you could travel and enter a church in Scandinavia, and you could know exactly what was going on, um, you know, in either of those places. So, you know, so what makes uh, medieval culture different from our culture is this shared notion. Um, You know, Dawson argues that shared religious ideas are the dynamism of vibrant cultures, and that's true whether you're talking about medieval Europe or, you know, ancient China or the Islamic world in the ninth century. But it's when those cultures begin to lose those shared religious concepts of God, the cosmos, the person, that cultures begin to kind of lose their coherence or try to replace religion with some sort of non-transcendent idea uh, or even an ideology in order to kind of imitate or impose in a coherent order. And I think that's the big difference between the medieval West and the modern West is, you know, the possession or loss of transcendent meaning or the possession or loss of some shared narrative, religious narrative. Uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, I, I just, reflecting on your experience f- from moving t- uh, to to the cities from uh, North Dakota and the difference there, mm-hmm. I, I'm always amazed, and I don't think she's listening, but when I visit my sister in Phoenix, we come from this little, you know, we're seen to come from this little, this this little town atmosphere in North Dakota, and and then we're and and they live in this city of, but I always I'm always amazed. At, at how when I when I come from North Dakota to a city of millions, I realize mm-hmm. that their life is smaller than my life living mm-hmm. here. It, it's it's all everything is everything is like it, it's uh, I don't, we can maybe talk about that after the break, but yeah, um, uh, and and just the number of people we know here is far greater than than their yeah. than their culture and I, and I, you've you've um, you've touched on that so uh, dr ann broder is my guest we've got to take a short break here uh, we're talking about medieval uh, history um, the culture of it um, we're going to talk about how the medieval culture has influenced the Catholic Church and then how the church has influenced our society today. This is all good stuff. I, I love the medieval world, and um, we're not um, going to um, uh, finish this interview without talking more about it. We're coming up on 15 minutes past the hour, and we'll be back in just one moment. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
This is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision specializes in pediatric eye care and vision therapy. We partner with a national infant eye exam program called Infant C, which provides eye exams for any baby under 12 months old. Many of the major childhood eye problems, such as lazy eyes, eye turns, and ocular diseases, can be detected in this early intervention exam. Infant C eye exams can be scheduled online at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud supporter of babies everywhere and a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. Do you know that your prayers today can still aid in the salvation of someone who died years ago? I'm Father Chris Alar. God is outside of time, and since He is all-knowing and all-powerful, He knows every prayer you will ever make and has the power to apply those graces to any point in time, past, present, or future. So if you have lost anyone, especially to suicide, and think that they are eternally lost, you can still help them. God can take your prayers from today and give someone grace at the time of their judgment because he forever knew that you would make that prayer and he wants you to help them accept his offer of salvation. So there is still hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. All right, my name is Monsignor Schumacher, and I'm here with my parochial vicar from the offices of Corpus Christi in Bismarck, where we are priests. And uh, Dr. Anne Broder is, is uh, uh, our guest here uh, as we uh, come up on 18 minutes past the hour, whatever time zone you're in. And uh, we're talking about the history of, of um, uh, the medieval times. And again, when I think about the medieval times, I think of just like great religious immersion. Like, um, uh, first of all, the Catholic Church was the only church in Europe. And, and I, am, I, am I, can I say... That, that there was far more church attendance, far more praying, far more religious immersion in, in, in like uh, the medical field, the legal field. It, it, was, it was more, yeah. I, am I accurate in thinking that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the great question is um, the extent to which people understood uh, in a deep sort of way what it is that they believed, particularly after the fall of the Roman Empire, there was a great need to sort of re-catechize the West, and that's where you get the great saints, St. Saint Boniface, um, St. Uh, Augustine of Canterbury, um, and then certainly the Benedictines um, uh, also taking part in this sort of re-catechization of the, of the West. Um, and so, yeah, the, as, as we get closer to the 13th century, it seems like there is a greater and greater desire among ordinary people to really um, not just practice well, but to understand and believe well 
what it is the Church teaches. So you get, by the time we get to the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215, we've got greater demand for better trained priests, greater demand for more confession, more preaching um, at the parish level than we'd seen uh, prior. So I think I think you're right in, in, in saying that, you know, there was just generally um, a greater sort of participation and desire for greater participation in the life of the Church, uh, and then the, the Church had a uh, great influence in all sectors of society. You're absolutely right about that. So so you've answered, I think, one of the questions I was going to ask after the break, and that, that was, mm-hmm. how was medieval culture influenced by the Church? I think you've, you've commented on that, and maybe you can a little mm-hmm. more, but my, my, my yeah. question for you is, coming out of the medieval times, how has the mm-hmm. Catholic Church become so foundational in our society here today? Right. So, um, wh- when we look at um, the Church's influence on the West, some people, you know, could point to the recovery and the reestablishment of written law, for instance, and the growth of what we would call the modern state. The Church was absolutely instrumental um, in that in the 10th and 11th centuries. Um, other people might point to education and the Church's preservation of, of ancient pagan Greek Roman and Roman learning, um, and it's the Christianization of that of that um, learning. But they would also point to the establishment of, of universities as a uniquely sort of um, Catholic contribution uh, as a model for higher learning. Other people might point to um, important social uh, moral ideas, so like the idea of servant leadership that didn't exist in the Greek or the Roman world in the way that it existed um, in the Christian world. Um, you know, the notion that we have a duty towards others, especially the less fortunate, that's a very Christian idea that wasn't really part of the mental furniture of the Roman world. Um, so, you know, the Church had huge contributions in terms of what we think about a good, a good society and how a good society should operate. Um, you know, other people might point to public morality, that the Church was really important for the establishment of, of notions of justice, for instance, in economics, you know, that you should, um, at, you know, you should use just pricing in your business. Um, even justice in thinking about war, for instance, just war theory, the Church was really important for. And it was really important for even what we moderns call human rights. Um, without the Church's... Um, Discussions of these things in the Middle Ages, most of these things that I've just mentioned um, wouldn't exist at the time and in the way that they did in the modern world. I, I had a uh, question from somebody, you know, with the mm-hmm. overturning of Roe v. Wade. Everybody's mm-hmm. now kind of aware that there is a Supreme Court and what, mm-hmm. that, it, that, it, that, that it's that, you know, that, it, that it's a branch of our government. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of the equal branches of government that it mm-hmm. is um, that there's nine. You know, nobody. You know, but before pack the court was a what was a was a, a mantra. Nobody even knew how many, but uh, justices there were. But you know, somebody asked right. me simply, why, why, why do why do there have to be so many Catholic justices on the United States? There's there are so many Catholic justices on the court because of our education system, and right. and and. and so, which leads to my next question: Why is it so important for us to know um, the, the the foundations the church has built for education, medicine, so many different aspects of our lives? And I haven't even started to talk about healthcare yet with our hospitals. Right. 
Right. Well, um, you know, as to why, you know, there are so many Catholics involved in, um, you know, in what we might call um, serve the service of the public good, so that's, you know, health care, justice, all of that sort of stuff, that, I mean, this is a really important aspect of our faith, that we, that we care for others, that we have a duty towards others, and that duty gets expressed. Um, in you know, in various kinds of work, the legal legal profession, the medical professions, all of these education, the helping professions. This is a very there's a very strong ethos of that within Catholic education and within the church in general. Um, but as far as why it's important for us to know the foundations the church built for education, I think I'd like to you know to just talk about history just being important. That history is an aspect of, of memory. And therefore, it's um, important for our identity and how we understand ourselves and how we understand our role in the world. So it's important to know where you come from. Um, You can't really understand yourself if you don't know your own history, you know, whether that's the history of your family, your nation, your church, your culture. Uh, And I find many people know very little of their own history, you know, and... You know, as a result, they, they might feel unmoored or they might feel alienated or, or a little bit directionless. And it, it's hard to ask the question, who am I and what am I for, without knowing uh, where and what you come from. And, and this is true for our personal history, but it's also true, you know, at you know, the level of, of faith as well. Where, where do we come from? What, what are we for? What, are, what is our purpose in life? Um, and understanding the history of the church is really important for understanding those questions and coming to answers about them. Dr. Ann Brewer is um, my guest. Uh, before we wrap up here, I, I need to get to my guy. Uh, Dr. Yes. Ann Broder, we're talking about the history of the medieval times. Uh, my Dalmatian Romeo's middle name is Aquinas. So when you when you think oh, of when you when you yeah. think of now when you think of the big hitter, hitters of of the medieval age, yeah. um, T- Thomas Aquinas has been influential on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albert the Great taught him uh, the the sense of virtues through the Aristotelian practice. But anyway, uh, the, yeah. the, that's the, that's t- you know twelve twenty five uh, thereabouts. Yeah, twelve twenty four. Uh, Roca Seca Fossa Nova. I've been to his birthplace, his death place. I, I, I went all the way to Toulouse, uh, where yeah. his, his his head is buried. So, where yeah. where uh, th- let's talk about Thomas Aquinas and the medieval history. And to me, right. that's that's um, that's kind of the apex of it. Right, right. I mean, Thomas's contribution is sort of the synthesis of all of the learning that had come before, and sort of the incorporation of of you know, Greek pagan thought, particularly Aristotle. Um, he got a lot of flack for that initially, but as the Church studied what he was saying more and more, they came to understand that Aristotelian principles um, were really uh, important for under helping us to organize, understand, um, you know, the, the various doctrines of, of the faith. Um, and so he's really important um, for, for that reason. Um, the Thomistic sort of synthesis was um, taken up, um, and we see all sorts of, of training manuals for priests. We see all sorts of confessional manuals um, for priests and, and clergy, um, assisting them in their work and assisting them in that great sort of recatechesis of the later Middle Ages. And so he was really um, important for helping to shape all of that um, if, uh, from the 13th century onward. Uh, 
Any final thoughts, Dr. Ann Broder, as we uh, wrap up our show here today? Um, this has been a great interview. I'd like to, we, we could, we could um, talk uh, long um, uh, about this topic of medieval culture. We've been, we've been yeah. speaking about how medieval culture has influenced our church and how our mm-hmm. church has thereby influenced our society. Any final thoughts yeah. or reflections? Yeah, um, I'd say, you know, it's really important to familiarize yourself with church history. I mean, once you've seen that there was turmoil and conflict in the Book of Acts, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, in the early church's dispute over the nature of Christ, the heresies that have cropped up, you quickly come to see um, that the church has kind of been beset by various challenges in various ages, and that ours is no different. And, you know, I think studying church history um, gives you more more wisdom, more prudence, more pause. I think also more peace uh, when Twitter or Facebook flares up with, with some sort of new conflict. Um, I'd really encourage people to read into church history. There, There's a couple of good books that you could read on the history of the church. Uh, one that I often recommend and use with my students is John Vidmar's uh, The Catholic Church Through the Ages. Uh, it's a great, even-handed sort of study of church history. Um, there's also Christopher Dawson's Religion and the Rise of Western Culture. That's another great read about um, the role of the church in the building of Western culture during the Middle Ages. So there's lots of good stuff to read um, to kind of shape our sense of identity as Catholics, our, our, our memory um, as Catholics as well, um, so that we can better sort of engage the challenges of our own time. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Dr. Ann Broder uh, from the University of Mary. This has been a discussion on the history of medieval times, on our culture, and how it's different than our culture. And thank you for uh, all that you do for the church, and thanks for being a good neighbor as well. <laughs> You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, Tammy and I, I, I t- uh, Tammy is our, our neighbor there. We help each other with the garbage cans. Always uh, let me know. Yep. Uh, and uh, does your house flood in the last rains, the heavy rains? No, it didn't. Okay. It didn't. I, I, get, I get water in my basement. Uh, I think it's a cathedral district thing, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> I think it is. Okay. I think it is. <laughs> well, all the best to you, and we'll visit with you again. All right? Okay. All right. Take Thank care, you. my senior. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Dr. Ann Broder was our guest, and uh, Father, this is all interesting stuff, the medieval times, um, and how it's influenced our time, and we need to maybe talk about that a little more. Maybe I want to talk about it more, because we get to talk about Aquinas. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. We'll be back in just one moment. I interviewed some riders a while ago. They went on a long ride, and they're back, and uh, we're going to talk about love, sweat, and gears, and, and how, how their 3,000 miles plus uh, panned out. Uh, Kylie Harmon will be my guest. We'll be back in just one moment. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 